What role does pleasure occupy in human development? What influence did this theme have on the conceptualizations of Freud's psychoanalytic theory? And what do we think today about the function of pleasure in the psyche? In this episode, Dr. Rui Aragao Oliveira presents his article Why Pleasure? He provides an overview of the relevance of the topic for the very emergence of psychoanalysis, addresses the role of pleasure in the dynamic economic balance of the psyche and for its development. He discusses the relationship between people and pleasure in our current society and finally points out aspects of pleasure in the clinical work of the analyst. Rui Aragao Oliveira is a full member and training analyst of the Portuguese Psychoanalytic Society, the SPP, PhD in clinical psychology. He is chair of the SPP teaching committee and past president of the SPP. He was editor-in-chief of the Revista Psicoanalytica Portuguesa and also editor by the IPA of the international publication Psychoanalysis Today. I am Gaetano Pellegrini with Talks on Psychoanalysis, the IPA podcast devoted to topics published in the IPA Society journals and Congress debates worldwide, featuring the voices of the original authors. This episode has been produced in collaboration with Isabel Siveira and the IPA podcast team. To stay informed about the latest podcast releases, please sign up today. Pleasure has been crucial in the progress of human beings. It has always been a major theme associated with pain, excess, needs, and determining many moral dilemmas, or even the ethics of medical, social, and educational intervention. In a certain way, we can say that it was pleasure and the effort to satisfying it or control it that prompted Freud at the beginning to declare the potential of the mysteries of the unconscious. If pleasure was not experienced as it was at the end of the 19th century, Would it have been possible for Freud to understand this reality? Well, I believe that the construction of psychoanalysis will have ended up happening. Yet, surely, the history of the development of psychoanalytical theory will have been written in a completely different way. Unlike to the circumstances of Freud era, which boosted estrionic phenomena, today the place of pleasure seems to provide essentially narcissistic and self-centered personalities that, unsatisfied, tightly seek out a greater, deeply idealized pleasure. Therefore, the opportunity for pleasure is a core element in the understanding of unconscious process. For Freud, at first, the psychopathological symptoms intended essentially to reach a satisfactory compromise between the pretensions of the pleasure principle and of reality principle that govern mental functioning. Coaching, overall psychic activity, aims to avoid displeasure and provide pleasure. It is therefore a principle of economic character governed by, by avoidance or removal 
of the disagreeable tension. It seems very significant that at first it was entitled Displeasure Principle. In Freud's mind, the first motivation was avoiding displeasure and not really the idea of obtaining pleasure. Well, pleasure, according to the philosophers, is an identity issue in the essence, which characterizes everyone in their personal discovery when asking themselves, what pleasure do I have in the different circumstances and evolutionary movements of its existence? Pleasure, pleasure together with the experience of pain, are two structural means that allow us to become aware of the contact with the object, both the object of the external reality as well as the internal object. Pain and pleasure become central to assessing the object, creating conditions for its representation and thus giving body to process of mental elaboration of an internal plan. Pleasure and the dynamic economical balance of the psyche. We all know the lyrics, I can get no satisfaction. This well-known lyric from the Rolling Stones band, which paradoxically corresponds to the title of the song, Satisfaction, also illustrates that the theme has always been approached more by the inability to obtain satisfaction and pleasure. At its beginning, psychoanalysis, as with, as with every medical therapy, essentially focus on the possibility of reducing suffering, originating from not achieving the desired pleasure. In 95, Sigmund Freud was already clearly concerned with the economical perspective of pleasure and its particular function in the psychic balance, where it, it enunciated var various ways of obtaining pleasure. The end lost the final pleasure, the organ lost the organ pleasure, and the word lost the pleasure of tension, the enjoyment of the energy coming from the instinct. These places of pleasure have always been one of the difficulties in the initial, initial construction of psychoanalytical theory, in the contradictions that were revealed and which demanded most of Freud's reflections, noting inconsistencies, doubts, research questions and relevant changes in the meta-psychology. The complexity of the subject led him to write some of the most debated and influential papers for posterity. The place and function of pleasure in mental functioning, as is discussed in Beyond the Pleasure Principle, or in the economic problem of masochism, goes well beyond the simple diminishing of pain, allowing conceptual innovations associated with the second, second topic and the redefinition of the unconscious or to the reconsideration of masochism as primary. Bian later placed this problem under a different perspective. Contrary to Freud, who suggested that reality principle is a consequence of the pleasure principle, Bian 
understands that in order to guarantee the occurrence of psychic transformations, it is essential that both the principles coexist. Only like this, with the full functioning of the two supposed principles, are conditions met to achieve psychic change and the development of the capacity to think. The clinical implications of the different metapsychology conceptions are very significant, as Bian clearly shows. Quoting, the important choice for the psychoanalyst is that which is found between the behaviors that seek to avoid frustration and those that seek to modify them. Therefore, pleasure is not always experienced in the same way, even if the subject fears or idealizes it. We find pleasures that are diverse, contradictory and confusing. We should remember that in civilization and its discontent, Freud noted that the forming and development of the superego mitigated the forces of our primitive instincts, manifested in sexuality and aggression. Since he cannot freely satisfy them, the human being discovers or learns to transform them and to access and enjoy pleasures at his convenience. Therefore, in compensation, a part of us, the superego, begins to love and admire the other part, the ego, for managing to renounce the instincts, or at least for being able to bypass and or modify the supposed pleasure. In reality, it is about a partial artifice, since the conflicting tension only gives space to solutions of more or less temporary compromise. The part that we identify with heat ends up being considered a victim, awaiting temporarily for an opportunity to exist and experience a different kind of pleasure. Well, the narcissistic culture of today's society has given rise to the right to the pleasurable experience, calling or sometimes demanding it in a particular way. It is not just a question of garnering admiration and widespread recognition, pleasing the ego and the superego, but it is also the expectation of access to pleasure of a primitive nature, a supposed extreme pleasure associated with it. There are certainly diverse forms of genuinely dealing with pleasure, altering not only its sub subjective experiencing, but also the function that it can play in the psychic balance of a dynamic, economic or adaptive nature, and also in the development of the process of the capacity to think. In this way, we can find characteristics of that which we call a kind of a-pleasure, where the balance of pleasure versus displeasure is subject to the freezing of the psychic equilibrium that does not seem to be prepared to live and transform pleasure, and inherently goes on to feel that it does not possess 
vivacity. Pleasure ceases to be only a reactive element to some occurrence in this way, founded essentially in the passive sensorial dimension. Some words now about the meta-psychology of pleasure. With acknowledgement that the pleasure principle was not the last determinant in the psychic econ economy, but in fact an influential instrument in the evolution of the mental world, we have to drastically redefining the place and function of pleasure. Well, the first perspective essentially explains only homeostatic or entropic pleasure related to the reduction of tension. It has enormous difficulty regarding phenomena that refer to the maintenance or even for the search for an increase in tension. Primary pleasure, which initially refers to the expression of the libido, seems thus to coexist potentially with multiple pleasurable experiences in which the dead drive and the reality principle are organized in a conflict or versus agreement way. The rhythmic movement between the multiple pleasurable experiences, the effort to retain them, and different pains and suffering present themselves in the mental structure as a determinant in the evolving way of learning and integrating reality. It influences the development of the symbolic capacity and of its excess can even be associated with the unleashing of phenomena particular to the psychopathology. The balance between pleasure, its retention and pain and its avoidance is not only an end in itself. They are elements that guide the driving investment of the subject onto the object. The balancing of rhythm is proposed as a pre-representational dimension of the primary relationship with the object. We state that, for example, how borderline structures are often retained in an immediate pleasure through a difficulty to organize the balance of obtaining different kinds of pleasures, its retention or avoidance from brain. Pleasure and pain are not simply opposed, but in fact, both are structuring elements of internal dialectics, which allow or drive the process of understanding the object and of becoming a subject. And what about the pleasure of being an analyst? Well, in clinical activity, both analyst and patient experience pain and pleasure for sure, although not in the same way. The work of the analyst is conditioned to the overcoming of the suffering that accompanies his or her self-discipline, where he or she is regularly facing adversity, frustration and resistance, and where feeling pleasure depends necessarily on the emotional satisfaction also experienced away from the setting. Initially, it was thought that extreme neutrality 
and abstinence for its own sake place the analyst in a position free of interference of his, her own desires. However, the long history of boundaries violations and possible gratifications of the analyst has become a difficult and an urgent topic. The analyst without memory and without desire, does it mean to work with no pleasure at all? Well, the pleasure of analytic work, and especially of work in the session, has not until now been taken much into consideration. But many years ago, in 1956, Thomas Zaz considered the theme fundamental as a contribution to the, the theory of the psychoanalytical treatment. Well, one of the pleasures inherent in the exercising of clinical activity is linked to the possibility of personal enrichment through contact with very diverse mental functions, to understand them in close proximity and intimacy, sublimating sexual curiosity and overcoming the patient's and the analyst's own child fears. Recently, Antonino Ferro also highlighted the analyst's pleasure in co-creating with the patient he considered transformation in biography to be one of the most distinguished features of the psychoanalytical process, as, as is the pleasure of co-expectating about the, the disturbingly awaited change, discovery or creation with a patient. The narcissistic pleasure derived from being need is also present to the analyst as well as the pleasure derived from contact with the patient as a protection from loneliness of their own. These conditions of extreme individualism of a very private and intimate work also highlights aspects of the analyst and conscious masochism. And Green reminded us that one half of the world's population, if not more, lives according to religious standards that claim the superiority of renunciation to any type of satisfaction, binding adherence to giving up the illusory quest for pleasure. This can also be true for the psychoanalytical world, but not always. Of course it is important to be aware of our own pain in order to be an analyst, but as Pontale said, an analyst who feels no psychic and physical pleasure has no chance whatsoever of staying an analyst. Something that we should take care of for our own future. Thank you.